Amen. Thank you, worship team. Romans 9. Romans 9, beginning with verse 14 all the way through verse 29 today is where we're going to be. We're going to take that in sections. I hope you'll grab a, a copy of Scripture, that black Bible in front of you, or that black book in front of you is a Bible, and it's on page 942. So grab that if you don't have your own copy of Scripture. If you do, keep your own copy open to Romans 9, beginning with verse 14. As we continue uh, this series on Romans 9 through 11, talking about understanding God's plan, the Lord's plan. We don't understand everything, do we? We know that there are some secret things that God has reserved for himself, but he's revealed certain things that he holds us accountable for, and we want to know more of those things that he has revealed. And these chapters in Romans 9 through 11 are so crucial to our understanding of who God is. And there's this great debate within Christianity Do we choose God or does God choose us? Is it a matter of His sovereign will that we are are saved or is it a matter of our choice choosing Him based upon uh, what He has done for us and our acceptance of that? And the answer for me was, as it was last week, is yes. It's both. It's not either or. We can go to either extreme and make it as though God's will means that we have no responsibility at all, that what is going to happen is going to happen, and it leads us to something called fatalism, that it's just fate, that God's already said it, and we don't need to be a part of it, or we're not a part of it. We don't have any say in it. That's the extreme. And the other extreme is that it's our choice, it is that we somehow, some way, in our wisdom, have chosen God, and that's not true either, because if we choose to to follow him solely on our choice, then we could choose not to follow him. And that's not what it is. That's not how it works in my understanding of the complete scripture. So there's a mix here. Yes, God has chosen us as his people, but he also asked us to choose him and receive his gift of salvation. I think God has determined that he has sent his son for everyone in the world. The cross and the blood of Jesus is sufficient for everyone. But the cross and the blood of Jesus is only effectual. It only means something. It only is applied to those folks who would choose him back in response to what he's done for us. So as we look at this, that's, that's kind of the great debate. Now, this last week, there's lots of things going on in our world this last week. Probably the the main one in our country was all that stuff that was going on in Washington with the impeachment and all that. It reminded me of a day when a a different sort of president was in in office. And I'm not trying to make political statements here at all, but I I just know George W. Bush just from right from down the road. He was at Austin. He was at Midland at one time in his life. I just, I just like George W. Bush because he's the son of George H.W. Bush, who was the vice president of my favorite president, Ronald Reagan. I just wanted, I want you to know where I stand on all of this, okay? But there was a day, you, you recall after 9-11, 2001, when he was in a, a fix, and he had to act as a leader like no other president has ever had to act in our nation's history. And so through the process, you know, remember all the, the war on terror and the, the 
weapons of mass destruction. Y'all remember all of that in the news and all that sort of thing? Well, there was a, one of his uh, advisors, Donald Rumsfeld. I think he was the Secretary of Defense at that time. Came under quite a bit of heat. And he spoke to the media one day, George W. did, and he was defending him. He said, I have his back. He's doing a great job. And, and they said, well, all these generals want his head, and they, they want him to resign and all this. And finally, George W. Bush says, I, I know all of that. I listen to those voices. But in the end, I am the decider of whether he keeps his job or not. And that's true. As the commander-in-chief, as the head of our country, he was the decider. I'm the decider. And so I've applied that to my own family, and I tell Jennifer from time to time, I'm the decider. <laughs> Look at her shaking her head over there. Wow, we don't operate on that. I'm not the commander-in-chief of the household. But here's what I do want you to know, is that God, in all of this, is what we're going to look at, is the decider. God is sovereign. That means God is the king. God is the boss. God is the creator. God, it's God's world that we live in. And the rest of us are just trying to fit in with, with his plan. And he can't be impeached. And his verdict, his veto can never be overridden. And so as we approach the scripture today, that's how I want us to approach it understanding that we don't have the answers to all of the questions, but He does. And we can trust Him. That even when life doesn't make sense, and it doesn't, a lot of the time it doesn't. I, I can think in 25 years of, of pastoring, just sometimes when I, I say to the Lord, I hope you do at times, not in a way that doubts the fact that he is sovereign and in control and knows what he's doing, but in a way that you and I declare to him we are so humble and don't understand. I can think of times when I say, why God? Why God is this going on? I think of, of deacons that we've ordained as young deacons and they, then they struggle in their, their marriage and their family and they don't want to be deacons anymore. In fact, they don't want to be married anymore. And I think to myself, Lord, I thought they were headed the right path. Why why, God? Divorce is a devastating thing, and many of you have been affected by that, and you know full well, and you wonder the promise that you made, what happened? How did you get yourself in that spot? Why, God? Right? I think of, of things like disease, and I think, Lord, I've been praying for so-and-so, and they die, and I pray for so-and-so, and they live. What's the difference? And I'm reminded, he decides. He can answer my prayer any way that he wants to pray or answer my prayer. I pray. That's my responsibility. But my responsibility is not so much to tell God what to do in my prayer because I don't know enough. But my responsibility is to align my will with his will even when it doesn't match up, especially when it doesn't match up with what I want. In my will. Now, is God some cosmic killjoy and always going to squash our, our desires? Absolutely, positively not. But there are times in our world, like when children suffer. I, I thought about that this morning and I thought, why, God? Why do children have to deal with what they have to deal with? And I've stood beside the grave of 100 and 
one-year-old, and that's a whole different thing than standing beside the grave of a 17-year-old who's been stricken with leukemia and passes away. And I ask myself, and I ask God, why? God, and he reminds me from passages like Romans 9, I do what I want to do. And I have a plan in all of what's going on. I don't understand it all, but I do know God uses it all. Uses things like death and divorce and disease. And, and He uses it to shape us into the image of Christ. And He uses it for His good and His glory and for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. That's right, the page right before Romans 9 and Romans 8, 28. For God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It's not, it doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say all those things we just discussed are good, but it does say that God in His infinite wisdom and power and mercy and compassion and plan and justice works those things together for good. And I ask myself, well, how am I going to respond to that? And that understanding of who God is. And this passage helps me. Would you look with me? Just to catch up, remember God is, in this section Paul has already told us that God has chosen some and rejected others. God chose Isaac and rejected Ishmael. God chose Jacob in verse 13 of chapter 10. I mean chapter 9 he says this about uh, your older son will serve your younger son. In other words, the scripture says, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau, or I rejected Esau. Does God love some and hate the others? At a surface reading, it looks as though it does, but really what that is having to deal with is that God loves Jacob so much that in comparison, or his people so much in comparison, it looks like hate, just like when he, Jesus tells us in Luke 14, 56, uh, to love God and it, those who don't hate their mother and brother and sister and all of those family folks are not worthy to follow him. It doesn't mean that we're to hate those people. It means that we're, by comparison, to love God so much that the priority of loving God is above and beyond any other relationships that we have. And so that's a, just a reminder. And then verse 14 of what we're going to pick up today are we saying then that God was unfair in choosing Jacob and not Esau? By the way, if you look back up at, at verse 12, it says he calls people but not according to their good or bad works. And then it says of those two, Jacob and Esau's mother, she was told, just maybe circle that in your Bible if you're a circler, or just underline that, she was told. It doesn't say that. That's dealing with Rebecca, her two sons. One was chosen and one was not. It doesn't say that God consulted Rebecca, that God called her up on her cell phone and said, hey, what do you think about this? I'm going to choose your younger to, to, to uh, rule over your older, or I'm going to choose your older to, to serve your younger. It, it says she was told, reminding us all who's in control here. In this passage, and in the world, it's the Lord. He does the choosing. And so we're going to get to the, the part about, about compassion and mercy in, in just a moment. I just wanted to, to bring that out as we begin to look at this 
a passage together. Verse 14, are we saying then that God was, was unfair? And Paul answers his own question, of course not. Of course not. What does it mean to be fair? What does it mean to be just? Is God not the very definition of fairness and justice? Do we not draw our, our very understanding of what fairness and justice is, is all about from the Lord Himself? Even when we don't understand, we can trust that God is fair and just. Paul reminds us of that. And in fact, all of what we see today is not new kind of information. It's just a reminder of really who God is. And then, more importantly, how we're going to respond to who we see God being here. And so as we, as we continue through these verses, verse 14 through 16, of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides. He is the decider to show mercy. We can neither, choo neither choose it nor work for it. We can't choose God to be merciful to us. We can't work enough. We can't do enough good deeds for God to be merciful to us. We, it doesn't work that way. We how good is good enough in order to receive God's grace and His mercy? We, we can never, it's, it's a gift. And so as we look at this, we've got to go back to, to Moses for just a moment. Because that's what Paul is drawing toward. Remember, he's speaking about his Jewish people. His, his passion is about his own people. And that, that would connect to them very clearly. And what's going on back in the passage, if you look in your Bibles, there's a little reference to Exodus 33, 19 would be the, the reference there. When, it, when God himself says, I, I'm going to be merciful to who I'm merciful. I'm, I'm going to be uh, compassionate to whoever I choose to be compassionate to. So let, let's just think about the context here for a minute. What's going on back in Exodus 33 is that Moses is leading the people of God through the wilderness. And they have uh, just seen Moses come down off of, the Mount, of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. And Moses finds them in chapter 32 and, and what's going on when he's gone? Remember, they are making Aaron, his, his brother is helping them make a what? Golden calf. I'm glad you know a little Bible. Good job. Way to go, Teth. Give me one of them. Can you, you're close enough. Way to go. And so uh, Moses comes back and finds them. And, and as he finds them, he, he knows immediately. God's going to be angry with that because they are, are worshiping an idol and not him. And so he immediately begins to intercede on behalf of the people of God. And in the whole process of interceding, he asks God to forgive. But God says, no, and, and, and says, hey, if you'll forgive them, remove my name from your book. Just like Paul had said earlier in chapter 9. He, he says, I, t let me take it for them. And God says, no, Moses, I'm not going to take you out of my book. I'm going to judge them. You just keep leading them to the promised land. And, and by the way, I, I'm not going to go with you to the promised land now. There, that's what it says in, in chapter 33. Because if I go, I'm going to wipe them out. That's the Strine paraphrase. But it's in there. Look at it. And so as he 
continues to intercede. Moses continues to, to plead with the Lord. Lord, how are people going to know we're favored if you, if you don't go with us? Lord, I, if you don't go with us, I, I don't even want to go. And he continues, and finally, God says, and this is an interesting thought. Does Moses change God's mind here? And there's another occurrence or two in the life of Moses because Moses talks to God as a friend talks to a friend. He's got this relationship with him. And God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you. And then, and then Moses says this, these great words. Let me know more of you. Let me know more of your plan. Show me your glory. God says, you can't handle it. If I showed you my plans, you wouldn't understand. And, and again, that's a little paraphrase here, but what he says is, no, you can't see my face. You got to look at my back. And he hides him in the cleft of the rock. And in that context, that's where he says, I'm going to be compassionate to those I'm going to be compassionate to that I choose. And I'm going to be merciful to those who I'm going to have mercy on. I choose. And so the first thing on your outline, if you're following along there, is simply that God is absolutely free to do whatever he chooses to do. That's not a new understanding of who God is. God is free to do what he chooses to do. And so when we think about his sovereignty and our choice, we know that God is the one that we follow. He's the one that comes up with the rules that we fit into his plan and we don't, we don't seek for him to revolve around us and to fulfill our plans and our desires and what we want. Because we know if we can submit our will to his, that things get changed in our world. Think about it for just a moment. Noah submitted his will to the Lord and he saved a, a few people from complete and utter destruction and the rest of the world has come about again, been redeemed, restored through him. Think about what Moses did himself. He led those people out. He submitted his will. He didn't want to go. He said, I can't speak. I, I don't want to do what you're calling me to do, but he did. And the people of God in that watershed event were delivered out of slavery. And they came into the promised land. And let's fast forward to the New Testament. And Jesus, remember in the garden, he says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but Father, thy will be done. And you and I have hope and salvation because he took our place on the cross of Calvary we just sang about. We have what we need for redemption because Jesus the Son submitted to God the Father and his will. Because he knew, as even part of the, the sacred trinity, that God is going to do whatever God chooses to do. He's absolutely free. I heard this pastor named Ray, uh, Ray Pritchard. And he talked about 30, 40 years ago, he was in Bible college or seminary or something. And, 
And there was a, a radio station in town that was called Rip Radio. I just love this little story. In Rip Radio, you could, you could buy a half hour. A preacher would buy a half hour to preach on, on Rip Radio some 30, 40 years ago, you know, back before the Internet and all that kind of stuff was going on. And, and the only qualification is you had $25 for the half hour and that you preach really loud. And so in the whole process of, of, of hearing that, he still remembers uh, a, a preacher from way back in the, the hollers, he called it, of, of East Tennessee. And what he said as he preached on, on Romans 9, he said these, these simple words, God do what God want to do. That's good, isn't it? God do what God want to do. Just say that, will you? God do what God want to do. Say, I know, I know some of you didn't participate there, so let's try again. God do what God want to do. And let's just say that's, a, that's atrocious grammar. Atrocious. But that's great theology. As we understand that God's going to do what God wants to do. And you and I are in the process of finding our place in his story. And, and when we begin that journey, we, we start with just surrendering ourselves to his will. And that means that we say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't live this life on my own. I can't raise this family the way it needs to be raised. I can't follow you the way you want me to follow you without your spirit within me, without surrendering myself to you and your will and your plan. Lord, here I am. Save my soul. So we think about how God chooses to do whatever he wants to do. He's absolutely free. And that's where you and I get our free will. We have free will because he has free will. Do you understand the, the whole battle that only God truly and completely and absolutely has the authority and the power and the ability to do whatever he chooses to do? You and I may think we do, but let's play it out to its end and, and we know there are some things we can't do. But not God. He is infinitely greater than we are. And he does whatever he wants to do. And I praise the Lord that he is merciful and compassionate and gracious in our, his dealing with us. We'll get to that, point three, in just a moment. Second thing I want you to see is he shares his glory with, with no one. He shares his glory with no one. Let's continue uh, down in verse 17. For the scriptures say that that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you. Remember, that's, uh, Pharaoh is the guy that Moses delivered God's people from in Egypt. I have appointed you. He's the, the most powerful man on earth. Could you imagine for just a moment what it would be like to have the kind of power the President of the United States and the Premier of, of, of China and the Pope, all three kind of combined in one that's who the Pharaoh was. He was the religious leader of Egypt. He was the, the, the powerful uh, governmental leader of Egypt. He was the military leader of Egypt at that time. And so he, he was the absolute authority in the world at that time. And yet he was nothing in comparison to the power of God. He couldn't hold a candle to God's power. And here's what it says, God says about Pharaoh. For the scriptures say that Pharaoh told, or that God told Pharaoh, I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame through the earth. 
So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, his children, his people, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Whoa. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? That's what it says. Of course it says God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Does, it, does God choose to condemn some people because of their continual rejection of him? This is a hard truth, is it not? The truth is yes. But I want you to see a couple of things here. One, God rose Pharaoh up because God wanted to display his own glory through him. God had a, a purpose in Pharaoh. And, but the, the second thing is probably more important. Pharaoh hardened his own heart before God ever hardened his heart. Ten times in the book of Exodus, if you read it, in the, the deliverance of the people of God, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. So here's what happens. God comes and gives us opportunity to respond to him, to do what he wants. And he did with Pharaoh, and he, he came over and over again with all those ugly plagues that represented idolatry in the, in the nation of Egypt. And Pharaoh continually said, no, I'm not going to let God's people go. No, I'm not going to do what God wants. No, no, no. Finally, God says, okay, have it your way. You want to have nothing to do with me? You don't want to bow to me? You want to think you're so powerful yourself? Then I'm going to let you have your way. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he shows his power that he is far above Pharaoh. Read the rest of the story. I don't have time to go into great detail, but here's what happens with us too and with people that we know and people that we love as we continue to, to share with them and love them and care about them and share God's word with them. There's a, a point in all of our lives if we continue to reject the Spirit of God, then in my understanding of the Scripture and an unforgivable sin, that's what it is. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't want to have anything to do with you, God. I don't want to serve you. I don't want to worship you. I don't want to bow to you. I want to do things my own way, and ultimately God lets us do that in an eternal place of eternal separation called hell. Have it your way. You don't want me here? You don't get me for all eternity. God doesn't send people to hell. We condemn ourselves by our own actions, our own sin. Hell was prepared for the devil, Satan, and his demons. But people go there because they choose to continually reject him and his things and don't put him first and don't serve him and don't give themselves to him. And so as we look at this, we see that God does not share his glory with Pharaoh or anybody else. Now, the third thing I want you to see, God can treat us any way he chooses, but look how he chooses in verses 19 through 23. Well, then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, does he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power 
He is very patient with those on whom his anger falls. Think Pharaoh there. Think anyone who rejects God, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. I read that sentence. I can't help but think about this phrase that runs through my mind. Heaven means nothing without the possibility of hell. As we think about all that is perfect in heaven, we know everyone's not going to end up there. We know in our own justice system that the, the folks that are, are incredibly evil in our world and, and the folks who are good, even though we don't get there because we're good, aren't going to end up in the same place. We get there because of God's mercy and His compassion and His grace. But we also know that whoever doesn't choose God, doesn't choose to to enter into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ ends up as a default in a place of condemnation. And so God has mercy and compassion on those whom he has mercy and compassion. Here's what I, I see in that. He can choose to treat us any way he wants. He, can, he doesn't have to treat us like he treats our neighbor. He doesn't have to treat us like he tra- treated us before because God is sovereign. God's in control. But here's how he chooses to treat us mercy and grace and patience even those who are headed for condemnation he's patient 2 Peter 3 9 says God is patient not willing that any should perish people go to a place of perishing on their own choice Not because God chooses that. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all, everyone, come to repentance. Mercy. He withholds the due punishment that we all deserve. You come to that place where you realize, I'm headed to hell without the mercy grace of God. A guy named uh, Paul Tripp, I read on a pretty regular basis because he writes a devotional I'm involved with, says this about this whole concept of God's plan and God's purpose. He says, one of the ways God in his wisdom loves us is by not telling us what we don't need to know. Or what we could not handle. His word is enough. See, I can't explain everything that happens in our world. The problem of of evil and suffering, that theodicy question, if God is all-powerful and God is good, then why is there evil and suffering in our world? I can't completely answer that. I do know God uses that, but I do know also that his word is enough. And here's what he says in his word. It is by his grace we're saved. Through faith. And this not from ourselves. It's a gift from God so that none of us can boast. 
That's his, his truth. Now we've got to consider the final thing is that God is not obligated to explain himself to us. He doesn't have to meet our expectations. We've got to respond to him. What does he want? He wants us to admit we need him and depend on him. And he wants us to believe over and over and over again in Scripture. It talks about how we become children of God, how we get in, how we accept his mercy, how we receive his gift is by believing in what he's done for us on the cross. The forgiveness that was paid for there. And by choosing, committing ourselves to follow him. We don't have to wonder, as I said last week, we don't have to wonder whether God chooses us. The cross tells us that he wants everyone, all. But we become part of the family when we choose him in return. If you've done that, I praise God for that. Think about who hasn't done that in your workhouse. And you stay faithful in sharing and loving them. And if you haven't done that, today would be a great day to experience God's amazing grace. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for a deeper understanding of that, even though I, there are things that I still don't understand. And Lord, I pray that what's been said today would stick as your Spirit causes it to stick. And Lord, if there's anything I've said that's not of your Spirit, I pray it would fall off, be forgotten quickly. But Father, we know as we consider your things and your word that, that your will is not some searchlight where we know everything that's going to happen and all of the final details of all of that but more like a flashlight shows us just the next step and Lord we ask that you show us your will today that you show us the next step today so I pray for your people Lord I ask you to help us remain faithful to the last call you've placed upon our lives until we're called anew and afresh. Make us open to that next call. Help us know, Lord. Help us know today who and what you're calling us to and the next step in being faithful to you. Help us, Lord. Help us all to respond to your amazing grace. In your holy name we pray. Amen.